You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. O Lord, may the meditation of our hearts and the words of our voices give you honor and praise. Amen. Most of us do not like adversity. I sure don't. Because it seems to make life harder, at the very least, uncomfortable. But can adversity serve a purpose? Peter is one of those who says that it can. Peter, the one who three times denied knowing the Lord, had learned a lesson. And from that lesson and from his ministry, he writes to the people, newly converted Christians who lived in what was then known as Asia Minor, what we know as Turkey. And when he writes, these are some of the things that he says. And this is the way he starts in his opening chapter, chapter 1 of 1 Peter. To God's elect, strangers in the world, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, biblical scholars believe that Peter wrote this first letter to those Christians sometime between the years 62 and 64 A.D. And they were either being persecuted or they were beginning to be persecuted. For who was the emperor at that time? It was the famous or infamous Nero. Nero had been proclaimed the emperor in 58 AD at the ripe old age of 16. You know where that can lead. We've all been there. And we've grown through the years. But although Nero started his reign seemingly befitting people under the tutelage of the philosopher Seneca, he did turn. He began to be, and he became a very cruel person. It is rumored that he would disguise himself and go out at night and accost and rob people, and accost and rob women in the streets, in the tavern. And then he came really to personify corruption and cruelty at the very top of his administration. How does this sound to you as a man who would be in charge of governing all people? Nero murdered two wives, including Papaya, I always have trouble with that word. She was the wife of his best friend, whom he stole from her, had an affair with her for a few years, and then when it was convenient or seemed to be a safe time to divorce his wife Octavia, he did and married Papaya. She bore him a daughter who died shortly or a few months after birth. And when she was pregnant the second time, Nero, in a fit of temper tantrum, kicked her to death. 
Then he married Statilia, but then sexually took up with a young boy because it is said he resembled his first wife's beauty. Then he would go on and he would murder his stepbrother, who would be a threat to his being the emperor. And he saw that his own mother was murdered, even though she had been very active and prominent in seeing to it that he, be, he was proclaimed the emperor when he was, even as a teenager, because she married the predecessor, Claudius, who adopted Nero and really paved the way for Nero to be proclaimed the emperor. Then he reinstated the treason trials, which people really hated. Then in 64 AD, when 10 of the 14 regions of Rome burned, which is probably what you know Nero for, even though it was reported he was out of, the t out of town at the time, but he was hated so much, he was blamed for the fire. The rumor was is that he started the fire to clear space for him to build his palace, which he called the Golden House, and pretty much emptied the treasury for to build it, and then imposed new taxes on people, which became a real hardship. So to deflect blame that was coming toward him, he blamed Christians. And Tacitus, who was a historian, a Roman historian, writes this about Nero. Nero substituted as culprits and punished with the utmost refinements of cruelty a class of people loathed for their vices when the, whom the crowd styled Christians. Vast numbers were convicted and derision accompanied their end. They were covered with wild beast skins and torn to death by dogs or they were fastened on crosses and when daylight failed, were burned to serve as lamps by night. You can see how corruption and cruelty at the very top and in places would filter down. And think of that as the background in which Peter writes his first letter. Now, in the midst of such persecution or looming peril, it is said that by the, it is said to be the time when Christian, when Peter wrote this to the Christians. Last Sunday, maybe you heard it too on the Lutheran hour, one of the speakers or persons said something to this effect. As Christians today find themselves more and more to be targets of derision, perhaps we can identify more with the Christians of the first century more so than other recent generations. And because of that, we can find Peter's words applicable to us also. <clears throat> now, in that first chapter, Peter begins with words intended to strengthen Christians in their faith by highlighting the future that Jesus will give to his faithful people and which they can anticipate. So hear Peter's words once again from chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this, you greatly rejoice. And then next come some of the words of how adversity can teach us. Now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be provided genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Then he comes with some more words of encouragement. Though you have not seen him, you believe in him, and you are filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, I'll put that together with words from some of the words from today's epistle lesson from chapter 2. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So what is adversity? Well, Pastor Willie Soler defines it like this. Adversity is a state of hardship, difficulty, or misfortune that one deals with in life. Facing adversities in life can break or make a person. In our world, there are six times, six kinds of adversity, physical, mental, emotional, social, spiritual, and financial. And we may find ourselves on one or more of these at the same time, he says. So adversity in any one of these types can really, it seems to me, connect us to Peter's words to teach us when he says, now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer all kinds of grief in all kinds of trial. So using that word adversity, what does it teach us? Well, one modern writer has opined this way. It gets our attention. When it comes, we have to make a decision to face the problem and pressures that are too big for us to resolve on our own. So in this way, God gets our attention. We must stop and evaluate our situation. We ask questions in an attempt to figure things out on our own, but we have to stop asking questions and ask God for wisdom. We have to obey his word and place our trust in him to bring us through it. On another level, he says, adversity points out our weaknesses. It teaches us to rely in God in ways that we would not unless we had significant needs. Adversity also comes to us through our adversary, the greatest adversary we have, Satan himself. For he, we know he will use any situation 
to tempt us to doubt God's word or God's plan for us. He will use it to make us feel sorry for ourselves. He will use it to make us question God and God's love for us and turn us against him. So remember Peter's admonition to us also in his first letter, chapter 5. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, the old translation said prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. The very name Satan, one of the meanings is adversary. And it speaks of one who opposes us in who would want to live in God's purpose or act toward God in a good way. Oh yes, Satan's methods are different for different people, but they have the same goal. And that goal is to drive a wedge between God and his followers. And just as adversity comes through an adversary, so deliverance comes through a deliverer. Deliverance is the action of being rescued or set free. And that word appears around 400 times in the scripture. We are assured in God's word, like this, for example, from one of the Psalms, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. God always has a plan for providing a way of escape for us in and every situation. Here's St. Paul, and he writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, the opening chapter of his letter to the Corinthians the second time. And with what you know about Paul's background and all the stuff he's gone through, you hear him in this in these words saying this, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So with all the problems Paul went through, you hear him encouraging us, like he did, turn to the Lord for your deliverance. Adversity can also motivate the Christian to recognize the Lord and God's lordship over us. For God allows painful reminders of our need for him. His word reveals that the recognition of God's lordship is the key to life and key to wisdom. Remember, as he says through Solomon in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Adversity teaches us to respect God's lordship over us. And so adversity can also strengthen our hatred for sin by leading us to recognize the deception of sin. 
And our hatred of sin will increase as we realize how sin keeps us from living in a way that honors God and how it damages our life and the lives of those that we love. So adversity can also call us to self-examination. And this is a discipline that is a part of the life of a Christian. For adversity can teach us to examine our lives and discern if we are obeying God's word. Jesus tells the complacent church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And with all of this, what adversity teaches us is that it is evidence of spiritual warfare. A Christian must be aware of the spiritual battle that rages between God and the enemy of Satan, and sometimes adversity comes to us through, have you experienced this? Weariness? Confusion? Division? Spiritual oppression, which Satan uses for spiritual warfare. So what Peter does in his letter is to point us to live in the faith in our great deliverer who suffered to deliver us not just from the problems and the terrors of this earth, but from the effects of sin and its result of eternal life and eternal separation from God. That's hell. So hear Peter's words of assurance today that come from this epistle lesson today. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you, like sheep, were going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. And then in the next chapter, chapter 3, he continues, Count it all joy that your Lord Jesus Christ suffered all pain and shame in order to redeem you. Bottom line, in Jesus, we can see adversity turned into victory. Adversity need not defeat us as we turn to Jesus who turned that defeat into victory. And it can teach us these useful lessons as we trust in him. And so we can say, as we bask in the glow of Jesus' resurrection, say with St. Paul, thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in his victory that we live through faith. Good plan. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ unto life everlasting. Amen. This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. 
We thank you for listening and invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmauspasco.org.